Today is Remembrance Day. And rightly, it is a day where we observe the memory of and thankfulness to those in our country who have given their lives in the line of duty. The poppy, a symbol both of their blood, but also their battlefield. And rightly, our retort is, we will remember them. Theirs is an honorable death and a deserved yearly eulogy. We will remember them. Now in Proverbs 7, we get this story of, verse 7, a young man who lacked judgment. By the end of the story, in verse 27, he is no longer a young man, but he is a corpse in the chambers of death. Verse 27. This is no honorable death, not bravery, but folly. And just as we remember those who have fallen for the sake of our country, the father in Proverbs impresses upon the son that he must remember this man, that he must learn from his mistakes and so be wise. As the father tells the full story, however, he gives him no rose-tinted eulogy. He doesn't spare his blemishes, but rather he deliberately exposes them for the sake of our education. It's a little bit like, if you watch Match of the Day, Alan Hansen. So at the end of a game, he replays it and he goes into detail about, oh man, the goalkeeper was a nightmare and the defense was shocking. Let me tell you where their mistakes were so that you can know what is right. If you're a Bake Off fan, I guess you could say the same about Paul Hollywood. He looks at the pie, he lifts up the pie, he says, you've got a soggy bottom and therefore you did this wrong. Next time you could do that. Well, so too the father tells the son this narrative. And it's a narrative that is meant to help the son navigate his way in temptation. It's a drama that is to direct him. It is a biography that is to bind him to the way of wisdom. The grave of this young man becomes the classroom of the sage. His coffin becomes the subject of a lesson. A young man who lacked judgment, who walks into sexual temptation and ends up in the grave. Now, objection, some of you cry. We've been here. We did this two, three weeks ago. We've done this sexual stuff in Proverbs. Why are we doing it again? Well, repetition is the key to education. Repetition is the key to education. It's very deliberate in Proverbs. My guess is there are some who heard Proverbs 5 and made resolutions off the back of Proverbs 5, but since then have wandered again into sexual sin. And we need this chapter. The battle is not yet over. And so the Father comes back around to teach us this story. And if you look in chapter 7, verses 1 to 6, uh, one to five. We're going to skim through this and concentrate on the latter part of the chapter. But the father's advice is the same. He's 
desperate for the son to internalize wisdom. It is to become his superego, his leader, his protector, his counselor. Chapter 6, verse 23, the father's convinced that wisdom will be a light that will bring life. But he's equally convinced that wisdom will be a fire, a folly will be a fire that burns. And so he impresses this story upon his son. Uh, let's skip to the next slide and start to think a little bit more about the father. Where is the father in verse 6? Chapter 7, verse 6. At the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice. The father is in the window of his house. The fool that he's going to talk about is down in the street. The father is in the window of his house. I think there's significance there. The fool is near and in the place of the adulteress. And he's thinking like her, thinking about her. Where's the father? He is up here. He shows distance from the woman, but also a different worldview from the woman. And it's as if he sits his son down at the window of his house. I guess you could say the father is sitting here, looking out the window, down at the woman. The son is by his side and he says, Son, I want you to learn from his mistakes from here rather than from making your own mistakes down there. Do you get that? He shows both distance from her and a different worldview from her. The son is not yet a fool. And the purpose of this narrative, this story, is to keep him that way, to stop him from becoming one. Now we're going to look at this narrative in verses 7 to 23. <laughs> If you know the reality of sexual temptation, let me, let me be the father to you tonight. Let me bring the father's advice. Uh, let me address you as a father to a son. If you're a woman and you struggle with this, Proverbs 7 isn't just speaking to the blokes, but that just was the context of education in the day. It might have been a tempter as much as a temptress. So this advice is for you. Uh, maybe this isn't your battle. Can I ask you, study tonight the father's tactics. Maybe you can be the voice of the father to a son or a daughter, a grandchild, a brother or sister in Christ to help them as they walk this battlefield. M maybe tonight you're here and you are or you have been on the wrong side of adultery. Uh, there should be comfort in these verses, maybe not directly, but from the fact that God hates adultery. He knows the pain of it, and he promises to be with you in it. The gospel has good news for those who not only have committed sexual sin, but have been the victims of sexual sin. And I hope that tonight there can be the voice of comfort as well as the voice of warning. Let's look then at the story from the father to the fool. We're going to look through both his mistakes and his murderer. First then, his mistakes. First mistake. My son, the father says. Look at verse 7. I saw among the simple. I noticed among the young men a youth who lacked judgment. First mistake. He was lacking. My son. 
When you walk into the spiritual battlefields, you cannot afford to be unarmed, to be aimless, to be thoughtless. You cannot afford to be lacking. No man's land is no place for a wonder. My son, do you see this youth who lacked judgment? Wisdom for him was stored maybe on a shelf at home, but it was not stored up in his heart. My son, for this young man who lacked judgment, wisdom was not an intimate friend. It was just some strange acquaintance. My son, wisdom for this young man lacking judgment was not a sister but a stranger. Do you see his mistake? My son, life is too dangerous to lack sense and too short to ignore eternity. He, he was lacking, and it made him a fool. My son, you've heard me say many times that the sword of the Spirit is powerful, even in the hands of a feeble sinner. But you've got to have the sword in your hand. This young man left it at home. My son, don't be like him. Learn from his mistake. Not only lacking... But verse 8, he was near. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. My son, you must know that sexual temptation is like a magnet. The closer you walk to it, the harder it is to walk away. This young man who lacked sense shows his naivety by his nearness. You can always almost hear his excuses. Well, she was a work colleague. There's nothing I could do. We worked in the same room. We only had lunch. Uh, it was only a kiss. I was only giving her a lift. My son... Do you see how he began to take steps near to her? My son, learn from his mistakes. The late night texting, the movie watching, the website browsing, inches him closer to the magnet. There is a great verse, my son, that you can hold on to. That if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. But I'm convinced that the opposite is true. That if you take one step towards the devil, he will take ten towards you. My son, don't go near. Not only lacking, not only near, but notice verse 9. It is at twilight. Every word in verse 9 almost intensifies the darkness. Twilight. The day was fading as the dark of night set in. Darkness is no doubt imagery for danger, but it is often more than that. The cover of darkness is often the context for sexual temptation and sin. My son, be on guard at night. In the privacy of your own room, in the cover of darkness, one of the lies that the night tells you is that you are unseen. My son, that is a lie. In this story, both the time and the place join forces against him. I think you can probably add to this 
that he was isolated. He's sure he's in a street that is busy, but he is on his own. Isolation is dangerous in temptation. My son, you must know that shallow relationships are Satan's intimate friends. You need the mates. You need the Christian brothers who will ask the real questions, who will know your true vulnerabilities and will hold you accountable. My son, have the courage to tell someone your struggle. And don't hold on to your reputation as more valuable than your personal holiness. My son, be on your guard. Now the father continues in the story from the son's mistakes to tell us a little bit about his murderer. Now there is a a tension to hold here. The son in this story is both a sinner and a sufferer, both a victim and a fool. He is both self-harming and being murdered. That is the reality in the midst of temptation. But you cannot afford to lose one side of that tension. The side where we always tend to go on is to say, I'm the victim. I couldn't help it. Proverbs doesn't let us say that. But it is true that in temptation, we are both our own worst enemy as well as having an enemy. And that is often why temptation is so vicious. But let's have a look at this woman in Proverbs 7. She comes on the scene in verse 10 and she comes as loud and lying. She is vocal, isn't she? Then came a woman to meet him dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. She is loud and she is defiant. My son, she has a voice that will rival mine, that will outsing mine. But you need to keep listening for my voice. And listen, my son, she does lie. In this episode, her words never try and convince the son that what he is getting involved in is right. All she does is tell him, you could get away with this. My husband's not at home. That is a lie. Be sure your sin will find you out, my son. She's loud and she's lying. And her tactic, her danger, is that she is overwhelming. She assaults every single one of his senses. Have a look with me uh, through the five senses. In verse 13, she intoxicates him through touch. She took a hold of him and she kissed him. She stimulates him through his nose. Verse 17. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. She hypnotizes his eyes. Verse 10. Then came a woman to meet him dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. She indulges his taste. Verse 14. I've got fellowship offerings at home. Today I've fulfilled my vows. And lastly, she dominates His ears, right from verse 14 to 21, she is loud with persuasive words. She assaults every single one of his senses, all to capture his heart. And once every sense is enslaved, every one of his senses begins to worship her. 
That is the bait that she lays. Not only does she promise much, but she deceives him, saying, you can get away with this. The bait is set. Now, he continues to make mistakes. Let me ask you this question. Scan verses 6 to 23. What does this fool say in response to the woman? Scan the verses. What does the fool say in response to the woman? Answer? Nothing. He says nothing. He just lets her words come like a flood against him and does and says nothing. He does not employ the voice of his father to correct her talk. He doesn't speak wisdom to reveal her lies. He does nothing. Listen, my son, when she lies, correct her. When she is loud, be louder. My son, you must not just be a man of prayer to your heavenly father. You also must be a man who engages conversation with the evil one. Get used to chatting to him, speaking to him, refuting him, correcting him. Because he's been a liar since the beginning. And Luther's got a great quote. He says, you cannot prevent the birds from flying over your heads, but you can prevent them from making a nest in your hair. You get the point? You may not be able to help completely that the temptation comes, but you can stop temptation engaging with you to the point of defeat. He is a passive listener. That is his next mistake. He does nothing. He says nothing. My son, the man who is passive is the man who is already defeated. And as he takes the bait, he goes from being a passive listener to being a deadly follower. Verse 22. All at once he follows her like an ox to the slaughter, a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver like a bird darting into the snare, little knowing that it will cost him his life. Passive listening turns to deadly following. He follows her. She kills him. I cannot help but wonder what happens as he follows her. The father doesn't tell us. I guess... That when he gets to her house, her husband isn't there. She told the truth on that point. But that is the only truth she told. I guarantee you, my son, that when the fool got to her house, there was not a bite of food on the table. There was no Egyptian linen on the bed. And there was no perfume for his nose. See, temptation never presents itself with its end in view, but it also never provides what it promises to you. There was no food. There was no fine linen. There were no nice smells. It was empty. It was unsatisfying. It was desperate. Maybe you're not a Christian here tonight. And uh, sexual stuff is not something that you avoid. Or something that you seek out. Maybe the movies you watch. Maybe the uh, internet searches you type in. Maybe in the hope one day that you will engage in some of the real thing rather than just the fantasy. 
isn't it true that as we pursue these things, they leave us not satisfied, but ashamed? Not fulfilled, but empty? A temptation never brings what it promises. That dissatisfaction that you feel, maybe it's God's way of telling you that if you seek after something instead of God, that life is not meant to be this way. Sex is a good gift that comes from the good God. But when you make the good gift God, it will never satisfy. No linen, no food, no smells. It cost him his life. Her bedroom turns out to be a cemetery. Now the father speaks this narrative to his son. Why? He is desperate for his son to remember him. No, change that. Verse 26. He says, many are the victims she has brought down, her slain a mighty throng. Not just remember him, remember them, my son. He was an ox to the slaughter, but she was not just a one-time murderer. She has slain a mighty throng. Her bedroom is a mass grave. My son, you've got to remember this. You have to remember the little daily decisions in his story that led him being like an ox to the slaughter. The seemingly trivial steps that he took that led him to be a deer in a snare. That when he lacked sense, it cost him his life. My son, remember that after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Chapter 6. My son, you cannot carry fire and expect not to get burnt. The wages of sin is death. My son, remember him. Remember that when she promises much, she is deceiving a bedroom that is a road to death. Do you get that? Do you believe that? In the heat of temptation, it will cost him his life. Now, another question. If you scan chapter 7, where is God in this chapter? His name is not mentioned. He is present only to judge In Jesus, God enters Proverbs 7. It is as if Jesus comes as God from the Father's window and starts to roam the streets shoulder to shoulder with the fools, even engaging in temptation. That the God of eternity would be tempted in every way like us. Every way, including sexual temptation, like us. Christianity is not the message of a God that is distant and has no idea what life is like 
with us. But in Jesus, he brushes shoulders with the plebs. And he engages with us where we're at. He tempted in every way like us, yet without sin. Hebrews tells us. Where the fool's folly destroys him, Jesus' wisdom preserves him. We see that time and again in Jesus' ministry. He comes face to face with death, and yet his life is preserved. You know that? What happens when he is born? Immediately, Herod hates him, and yet his life is preserved. The beginning of his ministry, he comes face to face with Satan 40 days, 40 nights. And yet wisdom preserves him. Later on in his ministry, he time and time again meets with the Pharisees. And how does the episode end? The Pharisees took up stones to stone him. And yet his life is preserved. Until one night... When a friend becomes a betrayer and the authorities arrest him. And you think, Jesus, what happened? Did you get complacent? Did you get foolish? Did you make a mistake? Did you stumble and fall? As he is led like a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus, what happened? Was it a mistake? No. God's word tells us that it was the Lord's will to crush him. Jesus says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Why? He is led like a lamb to the slaughter. He is pierced for my transgressions. He is crushed For my iniquities. He is wounded. So that I might be healed. He is punished. So that I might have peace. This seductive woman. Slay her thousands. She kills many. Yet on the cross. Jesus bears the sin of many. My son. Remember him. For those of you who have fallen, my sons, remember him. That on his cross he takes upon himself your sexual sin, your impurity, your imperfect record. It's nailed to his tree. It is consumed by him so that he might give to you a garment that is pure white a record that is spotless and without blemish, that he might give to you his sexual purity so that you might no longer know guilt but righteousness, no longer shame but forgiveness, no longer a dirtiness but a cleanness, no longer death but everlasting life. My son, as you walk in the battle of temptation as weak as the birds fly above your heads, you've got to remember both this young man lacking sense that he went like an ox to the slaughter. 
but be mindful too that you have an amazing Savior who does not only empathize with you in your weakness, but died in weakness that you might be pure. My son, remember him. God is faithful. When there is a bait, there is always a door. My son, know that the bait will lead to death, but the door he provides brings life. My son, remember him. Let's pray.